are live at the Line Hotel for the Independent Lodging Congress, and I am sitting with Mr. Vincent Fikera. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. And so you have created in concert with your dear buddy, Jason Cutinella, uh, the new aspect of Late Night Indie Lodging Congress. Indeed. You, you guys threw down last night, huh? We did. We did. And yeah. that was uh, at Break Room 86 here at the Line Hotel, 80s night. 80s night. It was good. It was good. It was a good crowd, good vibe, great music. Wish you were there. Yeah, I know. People who listen to this podcast will be surprised to find out that I went to bed early last night. It was one of those 9.30 nights for Christopher Plant, which are rare, but um, especially uh, the night of a big game. But that's how it went. And so I was just making room for other people. You know what I'm saying? Sure. No, no. Giving that's other people an opportunity to shine. I'm sure it was well-deserved. I made a joke. I said my body wanted to go home. My shirt wanted to go party. <laughs> you know, so did you sleep the, in your shirt? No, I did not. Oh, I, okay. I put it over in a corner where <laughs> it sulked and stared at me all evening. And I got a couple text messages from Jason, you know, in the middle of the festivities, like, hey, hey. And I was like, I I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. But I wanted to be on point for today, you know, so um, I had homework. So you have an incredible company. I've checked it out myself. Um, Revolver New York. Tell us a little bit about your business. We are a hospitality-driven branding agency, cut our teeth in nightclub branding, hotels, food and beverage, and have now sort of evolved into luxury residential, mixed use, uh, placemaking. It's really anything and, and everything within the physical space of how people interact, whether it's work, live, play. But really, we started from a core creative sort of... Uh, framework. You were there. I mean, you are New York, New York, New York, New York. You were there from the beginning. It is uh, the underlying current of your entire life. Yeah. Well, it was, you know, a product of the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, infected by popular culture, hip hop, break dancing, fashion. You look graffiti. good. I was a graffiti artist. I was a skater. And um, just growing up in sort of that cultural melting pot, yeah. um, you know, outside of the city. But my family was from the Bronx, um, you know, driving down Bronx River Parkway and seeing the, the trains painted and, and the walls was just like, you know, it, it opened up this whole nother level of, of creativity that I never even knew I had. So that's You're like, I want that. Well, I started the process, right? Yeah. I'd, I'd sit in, you know, my parents' office and, and for summers at a time and just literally draw and doodle and like try to replicate what I saw on yeah. the trains. And, you know, that really gave me this catalyst of opportunity to like lean into design or, you know, calligraphy or, you know, whatever sort of was an offspring of that. Well, th that, that creativity, influence. it was creativity. I mean, there was a lot of, uh, of independent thinking that was going on right then. And there was a, a vivacity to living, especially in New York, that was unmistakable. Yeah. And it's an incredible thing. I lived in New York for a long part of that period. And um, when you know that you're in one of the great centers of the world at a time when it's important, 
it infects your thinking and infects your vibe. And, you know, you want to perform. You want to, like, perform at this level, right? You, you know that anything's possible because you've seen this guy who just, like, did this, threw this thing up, who, who blows up and becomes great. You see these people recording music, and they're, you know, in the Lower East Side. They're in Brooklyn. You know, I was in Williamsburg during uh, a huge part of that, that time when the hipster revolution of the, the, the late 90s was going on. And, you know, the stuff that you were seeing on the streets was the stuff that was in the paper. It was the stuff that was on the radio, and it was the stuff in the magazines. Right. Well, what was really interesting about that course of events was that what we were influenced by wasn't necessarily mainstream at the time, right? So, you know, graffiti was a subculture, right? It was it was amongst, you know, inner city... Uh, outside of New York. Outside of New York. Yeah. I mean, and graffiti has been, still to this day, the largest growing art form internationally beyond any other, right? So there was a sort of renaissance that was happening in, in New York and that area, but... You know, I really do look back at sort of my family tree, and my grandfather was a commercial artist for Paramount Pictures. He was, um, you know, a letterer. He was an art director. And I saw that peripherally. Was that out here in L.A.? In New York. Oh, in New York. So they were based in Times Square. Mm -hmm. My grandmother was a dressmaker. My grandfather was a a commercial artist. And they moved to Hollywood. And not my my family, but Paramount moved their headquarters to, to Hollywood. And my grandmother was like, we're not moving. Yeah. We're staying right here. So, you <laughs> this know, this is our place. Which was an interesting sort of change of events because, you know, then my grandfather was head of the parks department. So he was wow. painting the signs for all the wayfinding. That he must was have been painting. like during Robert Moses' time? Yeah. Yeah. But wow. mostly in like the, the Bronx, mm-hmm. Brooklyn, uh, borough area. So his ability to, to letter was like this intriguing. Uh, sparkle, if you will, right? So then I started to pick up hand styles and graffiti styles and whether it's a testament to this, you know, the gene pool or it was just, you know, my ability to, to adopt and adapt what I saw yeah, um, and recreate. So, you know, and what was in, even more interesting is that like, you know, my mother would be like, I'm going to buy you a guitar. I'm going to buy you art supplies. I want you, I want you home. I yeah. want you working. I want you not in trouble. Like, don't go off and, you know, skateboard and spray paint, whatever. Not to say that I wasn't doing that uh, right. on the side, but the point yeah. was that we, I was contributing to a, a subculture that gave me a level of authenticity once I hit sort of the commercial art sort of profession, if you yeah. will, because that conversation didn't go over well when I had to, you know, ask, my parents asked what I wanted to do with my life, and I said, I want to go to art school. And they're like, "Why you want to be a starving artist like yeah. your grandfather? Yeah. I was like, no, I think there's something to this commercial art that I think could really be an effective There's a valuable method. connection yeah. to what I'm doing. Exactly. To, uh, to the business world and right. to something that would potentially be more than just like what you th- what you may think art school is. Right, right. So I was actually, again, part of another transition of, of industry when I studied illustration. I was a trained illustrator, life drawing, painting. All of a sudden, the internet came at yeah. like in 95. Yeah. So I graduated like head of my class from where school of visual arts SVA. Uh, in new yeah. york yep mm-hmm. and um won multiple awards for illustration i didn't get one job illustrating yeah i went back to school a year after i graduated and learned how to code for the web yeah so where'd you do that at school of visual arts oh, so okay. i wound up going back to school and partnering with one of my ex-professors who was retiring at that time start an internet company yeah so we started a company called id21 for interactive design 21 we had a starter kit 
for 1400 bucks, we can design a four-page website, full-color, graphics, photographs, and we were competing against the Yellow Pages. Yeah. So we'd walk into an auto body shop, a bookstore, you know, and say, hey, we can take what you're paying for $400 a month for a four-by-four yellow and black ad, and we can actually make an artifact and a doorstop. Yeah, we can create a fully dimensional, interactive website. So we got like 30 clients in the first six months. I was doing lectures on the internet in Barnes and Noble (laughs) to like all these like, you know, older generations trying to figure out like, well, when I click the link on the bottom and it turns from blue to purple, what does that mean? Yeah. Oh, that means you visited the link. Yeah. That means you've already gone there. You don't need to go back. So yeah. it was like this fascination of like, and the fact that we're doing it in a bookstore, right? Yeah. And, and that whole trajectory of books being sold online to Amazon. So like all this exposure that we were getting throughout, you know, popular culture was defining what the future was. Yeah. Well, you were just living it, you know, and you were helping define it as yeah. you were moving through it. And how were, I mean, it's so interesting to think about like, I've known several people throughout my, my days that were able to cogitate on like what was happening at that moment and figure out how to monetize it. And yeah. so there's this thread in here that you're not even really touching on is that you were always thinking astutely about how to not necessarily monetize, but how to create value from these things that other people were just experiencing. They may have been participating in it, but they weren't thinking of the larger implications and applications. Where'd that come from? Yeah. I think it's the entrepreneurial spirit that I've had, right? So my father was, you know, real estate, had multiple um, businesses. So I think having the art background from my grandfather and the entrepreneurial spirit of my father and then sort of the humbleness of my mother really gave me this, like, drive, right? So I saw two ends of the spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. And even with, you know, graffiti in, in high school, I was actually airbrushing jean jackets, overalls, things that were monetizable, if you will, and I'm charging, you know, $200 for this jacket and $150 for that jacket. So I was actually, like, making money with stuff that I was doing on the street. It's kind of like pre-Mark Echo. Kind of, yeah. I mean, I was part of that culture, and and a lot of my friends who moved on into the graphic arts or animation, worked for MTV, were the guys behind a lot of the stuff that Mark Echo was doing. So the graffiti crew that I went to uh, uh, college with all became like major influencers like you know cause was on my like we were in the same graffiti crew we graduated yeah. together we yeah. were in the same portfolio class look it up if you don't know it yeah so you know those guys and 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 ewok and sub i mean these guys were like like sub started a basically the art students league of texas yeah in and i mean incredible artists and influencers yeah. and so i think that whole sort of subculture one gave me the the confidence mm-hmm to sort of be a risk taker and to just put myself out there, not just physically by hanging off the side of a bridge, uh, painting a wall, yeah. but also within the fact that like, I can do this. If I'm gonna put myself in these positions, I can start a company, yeah. I can actually like use this. And maybe there's part of me that was just like, well, I have to prove now to my family that I was actually able to do something with the education that you know was questioned. Well, and it also was uniquely your own. 
you know, and I think that that's kind of like the thing is that you had obviously an inherent confidence in your skill set because you're very good at what you do. You're also surrounded by people who are helping to define the moment that you're living through. You're a little bit behind on the uh, the Basquiat and the Herring. So you've seen the emergence of street culture come into the gallery, the Fab Five Freddy and, and all this ascending culture. Then you're looking at the Beastie Boys, of which you're like, you're right there. You're parody. Yeah, we've done a project with Mike D, the Beastie Boys, uh, recently. Over the last four years or so, uh, we created a, a Brooklyn-inspired toile with Mike D and uh, Flavor Paper out of Brooklyn, um, which we're, we're monetizing. Yeah. So we're actually selling it as a product on flavorpaper.com, and, um, and you can buy it for your home and studio. You yeah. know? So we're, again, and that actually afforded me the opportunity to sit on the board at FIT because it was all about you know, how do you take the illustrative influence of what we learned in art school apply it to a product, like I, I worked on some projects with Arizona Iced Tea, and I did an all-city uh, energy drink, and I wrapped three cans, and I, we did a whole series of, of graphical executions through graffiti, which was, again, at that time when products were starting to collide with street culture. Yeah. You know, and I also saw, and I, maybe I was a little, you know, sort of behind the time of when the, the canvas of trains became, you know, the, the art backdrop, galleries, the backdrop right? of the art gallery right. and the so advertisement. Futura 2000 and, and mm -hmm. uh, Crash and Lee and, you know, Scene. Like, these guys are like, you know, well, the, or the even, pioneers. Like, even watching Andre the Giant Posse, you know. Yeah, you know, like Shepard Ferry. I know, watching yeah. that. I mean, he's on yeah. the side of this building yeah. that we're in right yeah. now. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure that they paid him a fortune to do it. And he's able to to execute. And I think that that's like the, the next part of this conversation is, is that, you know, the, the interesting thing for me is... Not that you have the skill, but it's that the ability to execute and to grow and to be strategic about what you're doing. So when did you decide after, I mean, how long did you do that uh, early stage internet company? Maybe a year and a half. I was making $180 a week. My wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, like was paying for dinners and doing yeah. everything else. Yeah. But, the, you know, but she believed in me, right? Yeah. And I think that that is part of how our relationship has become so strong is that, you know, even so, like I had an executive creative director position working on consumer products. You know, we had just built a house. Like I was actually like climbing up in my career. And, you know, my buddy Rob McKinley, who I we do a lot of hotels with, was like, listen, I'm opening up this nightclub in Nolita in uh, Little Italy called Gold Bar, and I want you to do the graffiti in it. And I hadn't painted in like 15 years, right? So I quit my job. <laughs> I literally started. Oh I had a, we had an unfinished basement. I got a 40 of Old English and a gas mask, and I painted my basement. My, yeah. my wife came home. She smelled the fumes, and she's like, what the hell are you doing? I go... I go, I'm doing this project with Rob. I was like, I got to get my skills like, back. Honey, I got good news. I got bad news. <laughs> yeah. Well, she knew I had quit at the time, but, uh, and she wasn't working. So I was yeah. like, all right. But the, again, the, the point was that that was really the foundation of where we started to go because I got written up in Interior Design Magazine for Gold Bar with Rob. And it said, um, graffiti done by Rob's friend, Vinny. Yeah. So I didn't even get credit for my graffiti name, which had, you know, risked my life building. Yeah. It was just now you know, Rob's friend Vinny. So we started to get like all these like uh, press hits yeah. because I mean, it became a very successful nightclub and it's still there in existence now. But the point was that I didn't know that I actually needed to put my arms around how I now I'm going to leverage those moments and those projects into something that can become a business yeah. or, you know, I'm not just the artist on the street. I'm now actually someone that was part of 
something. And that was, again, how we started Revolver was just like, okay, now we're getting more and more hospitality opportunities. I need to now put myself in a classification that I can now actually use as a legitimate company. And you get paid. And get paid. I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, those, I, had, I, was, I was unemployed at that yeah. time. I hadn't picked up a computer in two and a half, three months. Right. Because I was drawing and I was trying to get my skills back and I was... So it was a very interesting transition from, you know, being a, a cush executive working on big consumer products and then getting thrusted into hospitality as yeah, a passion. Like going because, back to your B-boy roots. Well, because of a friend mm-hmm. who I met at a f- house party yeah. in Westchester that I never, I didn't even know him. We happened to come across uh, a can of spray paint in the garage of this girl's house and we're like, bro, let's go hit that wall. <laughs> so we, we walked down yeah. and hit the wall. And he's like, oh, what do, you, what do you write? I was like, I write facts, fact one. He's like, you're fact? Like, so I was already in creating an impression on someone who you I've never invisible. met before. You weren't unknown. No. So, I, you know, I was up enough for them to, to recognize. And we looked at each other and, like, we became best friends. I was yeah. in his wedding. I was in his wedding with Mike D, the Beastie Boys. <laughs> like, it's like, you know, so yeah. those are the stories that we're able to, to pull back. It's not like I was an account executive at some ad agency and I was like, oh, I'm going to start an agency and I'm going to hire all these really talented creatives to run it. Like, I, we were like no, the, you were the authentic. Bones. You were in we there. Were like, yeah. And that's where I think, you know, we were able to gain enough credibility where when we started to design, you know, like my first autograph collection project, like we became a vendor, an approved That's vendor a, right a, away. A big, a big, a big brand in the hospitality sector. Autograph. I'm just like right. Yeah, and so under th- under Marriott. Th- yeah. This reach will go beyond the uh, the, sure. the inner city code of um, high end hospitality. And so you're doing that. The business grows. And how do you how do you continue to, to keep it fresh? Like how how do, how do you stay engaged? Well, it's been um, you know again when you're building a business and you're the guy doing the contracts, you're doing the site visits, you're doing the design, you're doing, you know, you're, you're creative directing, you're meeting with the clients, you're trying to build um, Recording you know, live foundation. here in Los Angeles, the, yeah. the helicopters are coming in. <laughs> They're like, no tagging, Vinny, no tagging. Good thing we didn't have helicopters in New York. Yeah. We were able to outrun the cops. Yeah. So I surrounded myself with more talented people, right? Mm-hmm. And, and people that were better than me at the things that I wasn't good at. Um, and that's where I really started to think about how we can, and not to say that I had to get insurance, I had to have an LLC, I had to do all the business stuff that I never really thought I needed to because I was freelancing. I was at 1099. I was, you know, sort of jumping around from project to project. But now when Marriott's like, okay, well, how do you have to fill out this form to become one of our approved vendors? So I'm like, okay, so what do I need? They're like, well, you need $5 million in liability insurance and you need, you know, what's the name of your company? Because at that time it was VJF Inc., which was my initials because <laughs> I had gotten my first project. R-N-C. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Highgate hired me to do the Paramount Hotel. And that was like, again, my big shot. Yeah. And I, was, I came in, I had like my khakis on, I had my chambray shirt, and I was up against four other agencies. And uh, we won that project. I won that project. Again, yeah. <laughs> put a book together and whatnot. So again, they were believing in my level of authenticity yeah. and the folks that were sort of putting me up. So that was really, again, just like the foundation. But to circle back on how we like legitimized the business was that I just surrounded myself with, again, people that were better than me yeah. that can help me with business development, that can help me with the contracts and um, you know working out pricing structures. Because again, I was 
Rob's friend Vinny. Yeah, right. You were a so, kid. You were a kid. Yeah. So we had to have to actually have a conversation with our clients at the time that like we, we're not doing Vinny prices anymore. Yeah. You know. So it was <laughs> no like more, okay, no more Vinny no, price. No, it's like you know Vinny price is gone because now we have an office and we have you know, a team yeah. and but we're going to better service our clients. Um, so you know we were able to sort of build this juxtaposition around really polished corporate creative work, but with this edge of you know, uh, street, creativity you know, that, and again, is very far and few in between because mm -hmm. there's not a lot. Especially then, you know, I mean, I think right. that there's now, a lot of people who sure. come through the yeah. the machine who've um, figured out how to leverage the value of that. And uh, let's uh, just talk a little bit about ILC. You've been a part of ILC here, the Independent Lodging Congress. Yeah. You're in the hospitality sector. What's important for you about, you know, connecting with, with your peer group here in a, a situation like this? I tell you, we, we've been to a lot of conferences, and uh, and ILC, it's like kind of coming home, right? It's like you know when you go away to college and you come home, and yeah, you know the the camaraderie and the the level of intimacy uh, you don't find at, at other conferences, and I really do commend uh, the way that that it's programmed, that it's structured, the people that it attracts, you know, and there's so much benefit, and we've been a part of it for I think maybe we went to the first or, or second one in Philly. At Rittenhouse. Let me be the first one. It was, it was the only first in Philly one. once. Yeah. So, you know, at Rittenhouse and, you know, just seeing some of the clients that, that had or had put in trust in us to work on projects. Yeah. You know, at the time, like LaSalle and, and you know, Pebblebrook and these, you know, companies, Destination, that were speaking on these boards and these panels and gave me sort of, sort of a, a level of, not that we arrived, but we were amongst those that believe in us You're in and the conversation. we're supporting it. Yeah. You're in the conversation. And we're actually developing projects with them that, you know, again, they're winning awards for, you know. Yeah. So ILC has been, you know, an integral part in, in our culture as a company. Um, and, you know, we're just happy to be able to support it in a way. And we've been, you know, invited to speak on panels. And, you know, we just, we, you know, appreciate the, the opportunities that it's given us. Um, to validate that you know we we are part of a of a culture and a, and a brotherhood of yeah. um, uh, of creatives and and like-minded individuals in our industry, so it's it's been great so far. Vincent Ficarra, founder and creative director of Revolver New York, coming to you live at ILC in LA at the Lion Hotel. Okay.